we are studying a letter written to a Turkish city in Colossae. And uh, one of the things that we've learned in the book of Colossians uh, is that God transforms individuals. That he, he, uh, and that's where life change happens. That life change doesn't happen through moralism. It doesn't happen through uh, religion. It doesn't happen through adopting certain philosophies. But it, it, it happens when, you, when someone is, is unified with Christ. That, uh, that, they're, that, Christ is, that they've been raised with Christ. They've been seated with Christ. They've died with Christ, and, and they're hidden in Christ, and, and it's through this identity that life change happens. And so we've learned in Colossians that, that God transforms individuals, that the gospel transforms individuals. But uh, what we're going to learn today is that he also transforms communities. Uh, he doesn't just trans, uh, individually, he transforms communities, and he wants to do that uh, through his church, that, he, that God is creating a community, that God has the power to create a community that, that the world has never seen, that uh, he calls the church to be this city on a hill, this, this light to the world, uh, to demonstrate what it looks like, not just when an individual says Jesus is Lord, but when an entire community says Jesus is Lord. Now, we have a problem because you and I are involved. Right, and we have our agendas, and so for for this to happen, for 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 God to transform a community, it lear- it means us laying down our individual j- agendas uh, for the one big agenda that is Christ Jesus, our Lord. So let's take a look at how this played out uh, in Colossae. Uh, I think it's really important to understand that. Uh, uh, Colossae was a very diverse city. Uh, there were Greeks, there were Jews, there were circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave. So there was diverse religions, the, the, the circumcised and the uncircumcised. There was diverse cultures, the Jews and the Greeks. There was uh, diverse races, the Jews, the Greeks, as well as the, as the Scythians and slaves. There was a different uh, diversity in the uh, uh, sec- socioeconomic um, realm. So you had business owners as well as slaves. Uh, so you had all this diversity, but it wasn't just a diversity, it was a divided city. So the, you had these different groups, but they didn't like hanging out with each other. The circumcised didn't want to hang out with the circumcised, and um, the Jews, not with the Greeks, and uh, the business owners didn't want to hang out with, uh, with the slaves, and, and nobody wanted to hang around the, bar- uh, the barbarians. The barbarians were this group up from the north, and no one could understand what they could, uh, could say, and they were kind of an unsophisticated uh, group, so they were given the name barbarian, which if you remember grammar school, um, you know, an onomatopoeia, which is a word that it sounds like it is, and so when, when the barbarians would speak, they just, they just heard bar, 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 so they called them, well, you're barbarians. Now, when you're a group like the barbarians, and you're looked down upon, and people don't like you, you know, like you're, there's something, like you're lower than us, if, if you're the barbarians, it, it's nice to know that there's somebody who's lower than you right? Like, then you can feel better about yourself. And, and those were the Scythians. They were like even lower formed than the barbarians. And so uh, you had this group. So you, you had uh, all of this kind of mixture. You had this diversity, but no, the, you also had this division. And, and, and Paul might as well have been talking to St. Louis. St. Louis is, is a diverse city. Within three miles of this building, this location in South City, uh, there are 70 la- uh, languages spoken. We have, we have people who are highbrow and lowbrow. We've got people eating five-course meals in Clayton, and we've got, got the mac and cheese Miller Lite crew. We've got, we've got uh, there's a diversity in, uh, um, in uh, politics, and you've got, but the, no one likes to hang around each other. So like in this area, I mean, it's just, Republicans don't even try to run because they're not even, there are no Republicans in, in this part of the city. But the other parts of St. Louis, it's the opposite. And there are other parts of whether the lake or Washington and um, St. Louis is also racially segregated. It is the sixth most segregated city 
um, in America. It's, it's, we're, we're diverse, but we're also divided. It's true at the lake. I mean, whether you live, you know, on the water or off the water or down in Washington, you know, if you go to Borgia High School or Washington High School, and there's this division. So there's a diversity among us, but there's also this division. And so what happened, though, is that the gospel came and it transformed uh, these individuals. And so now uh, Jews were coming to, were being impacted by the gospel, and they were saying, okay, it's not my moralism, it's not my religious, you know, following the law, but it's, it's Jesus, he's my righteousness. And the gospel was impacting the Greeks. And so they, they were putting away philosophy and saying, no, Jesus is the truth. And you have business owners as well. They were coming to faith. Slave owners, uh, slaves were coming to faith, as well as slave owners. Uh, barbarians were coming to faith, and Scythians coming. So all these people were being transformed individually for the gospel uh, and there was a new narrative being written in Colossae. And then they had their first church meeting. Now you had all these different people who normally did not want to be together. So you had all these subgroups coming together to form this one new group. And there was problem. There was, there was uh, friction. So outside of the community of faith, this kind of group would never happen. And uh, so now as a, party, as a body of Christ, uh, they were being connected at a much deeper level than the color of their skin or, you know, what their political party or the profession or the education. Now they had a, a unity that transcended all other kinds of forms of unity. And the gospel doesn't just create um, transformed individuals. It creates transformed communities. And the same thing that happened back then happens today. The gospel is not just transforming individuals. It's transforming communities. It is at work. The gospel is at work in our city and it is at work in our church. And I'd just like to invite a few people up here. Charles, would you come up here? Renee? Scott? Gloria, why don't you come up here again too? Dan Martinez. You guys scoot over here. Scooch together. Let's get in here, Dan. Awesome. Okay, so we've got some transformed individuals. Dan Martinez uh, was baptized five years ago. Uh, his parents were originally from Mexico, um, hails from the country of Texas, and uh, <laughs> he came here to be an optometrist, and, uh, but he's not an optometrist now. <laughs> he works for Wells Fargo. And uh, you know Gloria? Say hi to the people again, Gloria. We have Renee. Renee has been following Jesus for about six or so years, and she's on staff here. And then you have Charles. Charles just got married last week. But he's been, he's been a Christian for a year and a half. And so what the gospel does, the gospel transforms them as individuals, but they're not just transformed individually because now God has brought them together. Now, now, they're, now they're becoming a community. Now they're, now they're learning. So they're from all different backgrounds. Uh, they have different experiences. They've been Christians um, different lengths of time. They've been alive different lengths of time. And uh, different, I'm sure if we, if we were to interview them, probably different political uh, preferences and other kinds of ideologies. Uh, but they've come together and God is forming them in a new community. And that's what God does. The gospel doesn't just transform individuals, but it's looking to transform communities. It's looking to create a new people group. And they are, as well as all of us, our representation of that. Thank you guys for showing us that.
And that's what God is doing. God's creating a new kind of family. He's bringing a, a whole different crew together to demonstrate what a city would look like if, if that city, um, uh, if Jesus was Lord of that city. And that's what he wants to do through us. He wants to create this new community. Why does this matter? Well, number one, it matters to Jesus. Jesus is about uh, gathering people from all tribes and all tongues. And in fact, he says in Mark's gospel that this gospel must be preached to all nations and then the end will come. So it's, it's a part of his eternal plan. But I think it also matters to society because Americans, we're, we're great uh, American has been excellent at pr- producing exceptional individuals, exceptional sportsmen like a- Adam Wainwright, exceptional businessmen like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, exceptional uh, doctors and counselors and philanthropists and pastors. We've been great at, at uh, producing exceptional individuals. We've not been so good at, at producing exceptional societies. I mean, violence and crime is, is not headed in the right direction. Relationships are are harder and harder to stay t- uh, together. Um, society is not getting healthier, healthier. Social justice, I mean, as much as we cry out for it, it's really not improving. Great at producing great individuals, really bad at producing healthy societies. Now, modernity, in, in modernity, uh, the, it, the modern era was like, hey, um, pursue happiness, pursue individual happiness almost at all costs. You have the right, I mean, it's like weaved into uh, our constitution. And then what we found out is that doesn't work. And the, the postmodern culture rejects that. And they don't, uh, they, they say, no, it's not about producing uh, the individual. There's something in the community that we're missing. And so, I mean, that's why we drive hybrids, even though it's more expensive. That's why we recycle, even though it's a pain. And that's why, you know, we're willing to take a pay cut uh, to, to, to work a job that we find uh, to be meaningful and important to society. The desire for a, a new community is there, but the power isn't. Because at the end of the day, we, we still have this issue. We, we still, um, the heart is still curved in on itself. But, but by the grace of God, when Jesus died on the cross and he defeated Satan, he also defeated sin in my life. And so um, we, um, um, we, we coming together that God's just not going to transform us individuals, but he wants us to bring us together as a transform community. Well, how is he going to do that? The good news is that Paul was a very uh, realistic man. He knows it's not automatic, even though that we've been transformed individually. Um, we, we, need some, we need something to hold on to. So he talks about some things that we need to remember, that if we remember them, they're like glue. They, they glue us together. Um, and if we forget them, we're, we're likely to separate. We become less sticky. But if we remember these things, that, that we'll have a chance of sticking together. So what, what does that look like? Well, number one, uh, in verse 11, he says um, that it's not about being Greek or, or Jewish or barbarian or slave or free, but he says Christ is all. The, the thing that we have to remember is that Christ is all, that he is our center, that he's our number one, that he is our priority, not ourselves, not our political agendas, not our careers, not our philosophies of life, not our, not our hobbies. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, when we come to Jesus, we come to him with like a layered identity. And what I mean by that is that maybe you would say, well, you know, I, I'm an Irish lawyer who lives in Clayton and I'm a Democrat. So the thing about, those are the four things that you talk about. You talk about, you, you, you like about, you, you identify yourself by where you live. You identify yourself by a political party. You, deli- you may identify yourself by uh, your heritage, you know, who your grandparents are and uh, what you do for uh, a profession. Now, it may os- isolate, uh, oscillate. So the thing about, the number one thing about you may be that you're a lawyer, or maybe it is your heritage, maybe it is the fact that you're, you're Irish, or, or maybe it's where you live, or, or maybe it's your political party. 
And these are the things that we fight for. And what happens is when the gospel comes in, what it's meant to do, it's meant to push down those uh, secondary layers of identity. You don't cease to be Irish, but you're not primarily Irish. Jesus is all. You're still a lawyer, but you're not primarily a lawyer. Jesus is all. You're, you, know, you're, you live in Clayton, but you're not primarily in Clayton. You're primarily in Christ. And, and this becomes your all. Jesus is the center. Now, if these other things, the fact that you're a lawyer, you're Irish, or uh, you're a Democrat, if these things, these things have a tendency uh, to, to kind of pop up to the surface, and actually we, we consider those things more and more. But if we, if we do that, we'll end up fragmenting over all these different issues. We'll fragment over political parties. We'll fragment over where we live. We'll fragment over our social economic standing. We'll fragment over education. We'll flag, fragment over, um, you know, educational views. We'll fragment over all these things, but we'll stay together if we keep the main thing the main thing. If Jesus is all, if he's the number one, if he's the center, then that'll act as, as glue. And here's the thing. You share the greatest unity with whatever is your number one. So if you are all about being black, then all your friends will be black. If you're all about being a Republican, then all your friends will be a Republican. If you're all about education, then it'll be that group of people. If you're all about whatever that thing is, then that's where you'll find your greatest unity. And what, and what Jesus is doing, he's saying, I'm creating a people that's going to transcend all subgroups. And it's going to be a one. New, it's going to be this one new man. It's going to be this one new group. And it's not going to be found in one individual, but it's going to be found in in all different kinds of individuals who are, you know, Irish and, and Greek and Italian and you know, in an African and Asian. All these different group of peoples and all these different political ideologies and all the, all over the place. I'm going to bring them together. I'm going to, I'm going to make one new people. These people who would normally want to seg, uh, 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 seg, you know. Uh, um, segregate out and, and be different and divide, I'm going to bring them together in one new person. But I've seen marriages split over like, you think like, well, yeah, you know, that's awesome and Jesus is my number one. And, but you, I think we don't understand the power of these other things that s- creep up in our life. I mean, I've seen marriages uh, pull apart for like ridiculous reasons. Well, when we got married, we both like tennis, but he doesn't like tennis anymore. So, you know, I, got, I can't be with someone who doesn't like tennis. And so it's like the, you fragment over that. And it happens in churches. People divide over secondary interests. Well, there's no one here who's my age. There's no one here who's my color. There's no one here th- who raises kids like I raise kids. There's no one here who shares my political view. There, there, there's no one here, you know, there's not enough moms here who stay at homes, or there's too many moms here that stay at home and don't work. I, I don't find my subgroup here. I don't find that here. Well, Paul's like, no, 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 I want to shatter all that because really we have to see that Christ is all. And if we can see that Christ is all, that's going to be glue that's going to bring us together. Is when we forget that Christ is our number one, then that's when we'll fragment. At its core, it's sin that separates us. It's, it's those things that divide. Sin separates us. It separates us from God. It separates us from each other. It's the gospel and the blood of Jesus that draws us together. There is no greater point of unity than Jesus. And there's that saying, you know, that blood is thicker than water. What thicker blood? What richer blood? What more valuable blood than there is than the blood of Jesus? The second thing Paul says, he says Paul is, or he says Christ is all, but he says Christ is in all. When you become a Christian, God lives in us. Christ lives in us. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So Christ is in all. So we got to remember, remember last week we talked about how um, 
It's very important for us to understand that Paul is talking to Christians here. He's not talking just to people in general. So when he says Christ is all, he's not saying Christ is in every person, but Christ is in every person who is following Jesus. So here's the deal on that. If I reject you as an individual, I'm not just rejecting you, I'm rejecting Jesus. Because Jesus is in all. It's very, very important because Jesus is in them. So how are you connecting with people who aren't like you? How are you doing with that? How do you know? How, how can you test that? Here's how you, I call it the cell phone test. Get out your cell phone. Go to contacts. Who's in there? Are they pretty much like you? Are they the same age? Are they the same color? Are they from the same background? Do they vote like you, act like you, smell like you, talk like you? Are they different? How are you doing at connecting with other people? And if you're thinking like, well, I just don't have the grace to hang around a certain kind of demographic. I just want you to know that this is the point. This is the point. Nobody in and of themselves has the grace, has the power to hang around, not just hang around, but actually become one with people who are different than them. Nobody has that power. And that's the whole point because God is creating a community that the world has never seen. When the, when the Bible talks, I brought this up before, when the Bible talks about a new community, when it says that we're new, there are two different kind of Greek words. There's, there's neos and there's kainos. Neos is like new, um, uh, it's, it's, it's like new in relationship to time. So it's like the latest iPhone or the latest MacBook Pro or the latest 747. It's like the latest and greatest. That's not the new that gets used here. The new that gets used here is, is kainos, which means new of its kind. So it's not, the latest, it's not the latest MacBook Pro. It's the first computer. It's not the latest 747. It's the, it's the Wright Brothers. It's, it's a completely new category. So when, when, when it says, like, hey, God's creating this new society, this new community, it's not saying it's God's creating this kind of cool, hip version of the church. He's creating a community that the world has never seen. It transcends all. So here's the point. When you find yourself, I just don't have the grace to hang around that person. Don't that, let that be an out for why you're not around them. Uh, uh, say, God, give me the grace. Because this kind of community is only possible if, if his power is working through you. Otherwise, it's impossible. So uh, the third thing we need to remember is that we've been chosen by God. There's a selection process in heaven that you and I don't know much about. And that is that God chose you and God chose me. We were handpicked by God. Now, before you get a big head and start thinking you're great, Jesus had to be slaughtered so that you can be in a relationship with him. So it's not that we're amazing, but it's the f- despite the fact that we're not amazing that God still chose us. It's the wonder of grace, this grace that's unmerited. It's, un, you know, it's, just, it's unilateral. It's all one-sided from him, this amazing grace that we sing about. But we were chosen by him. But knowing that we've been chosen by him helps us stick together. When we forget that, when we think this is our deal, this is my decision, I decided to follow Jesus. Jesus said, no, no, you didn't choose me, I chose you. So if you think this is your idea, and you decided I'll be born in America, and I'll have this kind of savvy, and this kind of personality, and this kind of ambition, these kinds of looks, you didn't decide all that. God determines uh, uh, God apportions gifts as he wills. He, he places people in cities as he wills. Uh, where people are born, who they're born to. Uh, he determines mental capacity, savvy, ambition. So God is in the business of choosing all of this. And so uh, when you look at someone, 
And you say, why in the world are they like that? You could say, well, God chose them. And God chose me. And before we begin to think that our selection process like trumps God's selection process, we can sit there and say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. God in his infinite wisdom, he, he chose that person to be in this city with that get, those gifts and th- that personality. He chose me. There's something that God wants to do through that person and me. And so instead of running from him, I may run to him knowing that this is something that God's put in there. These, are all, these three things are all glue that if we remember these things, they'll help us stick together. That Jesus is number one, that Christ is in everyone, and that, and that he is in, he's selected. He, he's the one who determined all these things. These help us. If we remember these things, they're going to help us stick together. Otherwise, we'll, we'll fragment and separate. So those are some things that we need to remember, that there's some things that we need to put on. There's, there's things that we need to be covered with and clothed with. And I like that. That language. And uh, last week, there were some things that we had to take off. We had to, uh, there were five things. Uh, they were um, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. These are all things that kill community. But then there's some Christ likeness that he says to put on, like, like a garment. Put on, you know, put on this pair of pants, put on this shirt, this belt, this hat. These are garments that you can put on that are going to. Um, help you. And the first one that he mentioned is compassion. And compassion is a heartfelt concern that leads you to action. And both of those things are important. It's not just, it's not just a feeling, but it's a feeling that leads to action. action. It's being genuinely concerned by someone to say, I want to do something about that. And if you study the emotional life of Jesus, the, the, the number one emotion that, that, motiv- that particularly motivated him to action was compassion. So oftentimes it's say like, you know, filled with compassion, he taught. Filled with compassion, he healed. Filled with compassion, he went over here. Filled with compassion, he stayed right there. He didn't go anywhere. Uh, so all, I think like 30-something times in the, in, the, in the Gospels. And you will only grow in compassion, here's the point, if you remember how God has treated you. So this whole section is about not... Uh, here's a checklist of behaviors, but this is, who, this is who you are because this is who Christ is. So put on Christ. And one of the things that we put on is compassion. Because you will not be a compassionate person if you don't see that you're in this thing because of what God has done, not what you have done. So if you're into, like, moralism and, you know, I, I've been a good person... Um, you're not going to be a very compassionate toward the poor because you think, well, I got here because I did some things and they just need to do what I did. I did it, why can't they? So you're not really compassionate. You don't really relate to that person uh, because you think you did something to get here. But it's only when you remember, wait a minute, uh, I, was, <laughs> I was on my last leg. I mean, I was goners and Christ came and he saved me. I mean, essentially, uh, becoming a Christian is like declaring spiritual bankruptcy. You, you had a debt, and every time you try to get out of debt, you just got in worse debt. But thank be to Jesus that he took that record of debt and he nailed it to the cross. It's gone. It's what he did for you. And so when you understand that and you relate that and you put on this Christ-likeness, it's going to, it's going to move you out in being compassionate. Put on compassion and put on humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So the key isn't to have high self-esteem. It's not to have low self-esteem. It's to have no self-esteem. It's just not even think about yourself. And, and that's what it means. As you grow, it's like you get, your day is you get so raptured in the, in the brilliance of God and the love of God and the wonder of God and the power of God that you forget about yourself. 
because you're focused on him. And that, and that vertical passion, that vertical love, that vertical honoring works itself out horizontally in the life of others. And so you then begin to serve yourself. So humil- humility is very closely connected to serving. Every time it's really talked about, it's really the, the, the implication there is that you serve. So Jesus says, you call me Lord and Master. You esteem me, but I'm going to, now watch me wash your feet. I'm going to get down. I did not come to be served, but I've come to serve. There's a, there's a humility there. Humility means to serve. Because you can think of yourself as a, as a humble person. But you're only growing in humility if your heart for serving other people is growing. You may have this on-the-surface belief that you're a humble person, but on, under the surface, this tacit belief that you have is that you are more important than others. If you're not serving, giving yourself to service, and looking to strategize and find out ways that you can serve even more. So if you hide behind, well, I'm busy, I've got this going on, what, what, you, what you're saying is like, what I have to do is more important than what other people have to do. And this hits us. So to, what, what it means to clothe yourself in humility, the outworking of that is, is going to be that you're growing in your passion for service. Uh, meekness or gentleness. Jesus said that he was, that's an, another one, that we, we clothe ourselves with meekness and gentleness. Jesus said that he was gentle of heart. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle. He talks about patience. We don't have time for that, uh, so we'll just move on. Um, no, I hate that this. I hate that this is here. I hate that this is here. I mean, I don't know about you, but you ever read the Bible? And you're like, yeah, okay, that's cool. That's cool. Ah, oh, no, you're kidding me. Patience, really? Um, but yeah, patience is the godly reaction when someone treats you in a way that you, unex- you didn't expect, or that you wouldn't prefer. What does it mean to be patient? It means when someone doesn't vote like you, look like you, act like you, talk like you. Respond the way you would respond. You're patient with them. Putting on patience is, is a putting on Christ's likeness. Aren't you glad that God was patient with you? Aren't you glad that he gave you s- space to figure things out? Still giving you space to figure things out? He doesn't snuff you out as soon as you want to make one mistake, one mistake. In fact, when you read through the Gospels, particularly in Romans, patience is often included with the God. So it's like, in his patience... You know, he sent the son. Like, he, he was patient with you. To put on Christ is to put on patience. So we, 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 get, we get all dressed up uh, in Christ-likeness. And these are going to lead to a couple different actions. Number one, Paul says that we are going to, that we are to bear with each other. We are to bear. I, and I love just how he sets the bar, like, really low here. He's like, look, I don't even care if you like each other. I don't, just, like, endure each other. Just ta- start there. This is like, this is a command to love with training wheels, all right? So this is like, just deal with each other. Just tolerate each other. Endure each other. And, and this is how it plays out. You know, you've had a busy day, and like, you know, you're a busy day at work, and like, you know, you're, you're thinking about blowing off community group altogether. In fact, you're like sitting in your parking lot just kind of looking at your steering wheel thinking, should I leave, should I not leave, should I go, should I not go? So well, you go. You finally get there. You're thinking, I want to get there, and I want to get out. But th- that's impossible because she's talking and talking and talking and talking. And then before you end, you know, like, well, we got to pray. And so there's prayer. And then, you know, she prays and she prays and she prays. And you're thinking, doesn't she know that it's not with our many words that, you know, you're just thinking like <laughs> praying about what? 
God only knows. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's just going on and on and on and on and on. And, and so you just like, you skip the snack, you just get in your car and, and you have a choice to make. It's either, honey, can we like be busy next week? Or it's, do I learn to bear with this person? I mean, he just sets the bar really low. It's just, he's very practical. He just says, this is, this is part of the outward. When you clothe yourself with compassion and humility and gentleness and patience, it's going it's, mean, to, it's, you're going to bear with each other. You're going to bear with each other. Secondly, forgive each other. Forgive each other. Now, notice the progression here. Because, like, when we first talk about this community that's just, like, different and, and diversity and it's electric and I have a dream and, you know, everyone's high-fiving each other and it's amazing. Until, and then we get to know each other. And then we meet. So Paul says you got to bear with each other. Step one is, like, bear with each other. So, so, so the, the vision's awesome on Sunday until you, like, get to know each other, then you, you got to bear with them. But if you really get to know them, guess what? Then you move on to forgiving them. When you kind of know someone, you have to bear with them. But when you really get to know them, you have to forgive them. If you don't have anything to forgive me of, it's because you don't know me very well. But let's hang out. <laughs> Let me forget your birthday. Let me uh, forget to invite you to the barbecue this weekend that I'm having. Let me, like, uh, throw out a sarcastic remark your way in poor judgment. A few of you have been there. <laughs> if, you don't, if, you don't, if you don't have anything to forgive me of, you just, you just don't know me very well. But if you get to know me, I'll give you an opportunity to forgive me. Guess what? You're probably the same way. The person I have to forgive the most is the person that I think is the most amazing in the world, my wife. I forgive her more than anyone. More opportunities where I have to exercise forgiveness. And I, I mean, <laughs> it goes without saying that she obviously has to forgive me quite a few times as well. You're the same way. The people that you know the most are, are the people you have to forgive the most. But actually, most of us don't even get it through the bear with them stage in relationships. We, we just kind of like avoid them. I don't like being around that person. So you just don't be around them. You, you move, you know, you, you, you change seats in class. You know, you, you take a different route to work. You sit on the other side of the auditorium. You, you change community groups. You change churches. We, we, we barely, we rarely in our culture do we even get through the bear with them stage, much less the forgive them stage. Here's the thing. When, when people give you an opportunity to forgive them, it, it's great because it just means that you become more like Jesus. The more opportunities that you have to forgive people, the more times that people put you in a situation to have to forgive them, the more times you do that, the more you become like Jesus. I've helped so many people in my life become more like Jesus. And it has nothing to do with my preaching or leading. <laughs> this has to do with me, just being me. Just kind of like bring out Christ-likeness in people. I have the gift of provocation and irritation. 
I want to be different, but hey, you know. Um, Paul said to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. So let's just, let's just make this really clear. What does it mean to forgive people? It means to forgive people totally. Christ has forgiven you totally. He hasn't forgiven you partially. He's forgiven you completely of your sins, past, present, and future, which means his decision to forgive you has nothing to do with you. It says that he died for you while, we were still, while you were still sinner. While we were still sinners, he died for us. We weren't saying, there was no one like around the cross saying, please die for me. Please die for me. No, it wasn't happening. But what did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. People don't, when you forgive someone, you don't expect them to make it up to you. You don't expect them to pay you back. It is releasing them from the obligation completely when they injured you. When you forgive someone, you are, you are absorbing a debt. A debt was incurred. They took something from you. They took time from you. They took money from you. They took dignity from you. They took respect from you. They took your job from you. They took a friend from you. They took something from you. They injured you. It was real. No one's saying it's not real. But how has Christ forgiven you? He's, com- he's forgiven you totally. He's forgiven you unilaterally, which means we forgive everyone in every circumstance without measure. There is no exception to the when. There is no exception to the who. There is no exception to the how much. You had an unpayable debt, a debt that um, a billion lifetimes wouldn't even scratch the surface. God forgave you of an unpayable debt. There is no debt bigger than the debt that Christ has forgiven you. It may be great. It may be worse than, I don't know your story. It may be 10 times worse than I could even think or imagine. But this is what I do know. I do know that it is still under the debt that you've incurred with Jesus. And he forgave you. You're going to come across all different kinds of people. To, to, to be this community, this hope to the world, this light to the nations kind of community, we're going to have to put on Christ. I mean, we're going to have to remember things about who Jesus is and who we are in relationship to Jesus. And we're going to have to put on these qualities, and we're going to learn to bear with each other. I mean, sometimes just gonna, we just have to grow in our bearing of each other, and we are absolutely going to have to forgive one another. Transformed individuals create transformed communities that forgive each other. Or do you have your checklist out? Are you keeping track of what he did or what she said? And you have this list, and when the list gets full, you're done. You're out. You're out of the relationship. You're out of the community. You're out of the church. You're out of whatever. This community just doesn't happen without a fight. The good thing, we have access to a power, that the same power that raised Christ from dead lives inside of us. We can access that same power. So when it's really, really hard, it's really hard to forgive, or it's really hard to bear, it's really hard to be patient, it's really hard to do these things. We, can act, we, don't, we don't have to do it in and of ourselves. We can clothe ourselves with compassion, with meekness, with gentleness, with humility. We can clothe ourselves with these things. And then it says, above all else, love. It's like, it's like here's the overcoat. It just kind of wraps everything together. All these articles of clothing, of compassion, it's all wrapped together by love. What if we all did this? 
what would it look like if, there, if a community of people made Jesus their number one? I mean, there wasn't all these, you know, we all, we all have our diversity. We all come from different, we all have different colors of skin. We all have different backgrounds. But we came together. And what was uh, unifying about us wasn't our political party or the color of our skin or the age or anything like that. But actually, it was, it was our unity in Christ that pulled us together because he was our all. And we recognize that he is in all. And we recognize that he selected us. He handpicked us to be where we're at in this moment of time. And we learn to put on Christ's likeness. We learn to have compassion for others. We learn to, to serve and be full of humility and gentleness and patience and above all else, love. And we, and we were able to bear with each other, not just run and hide and forgive each other. A community like that is a community that the world has never seen. And I believe that community has the power to change neighborhoods, cities, in the world. I think, I just think there's unlimited potential in a group of transformed individuals not being content to be their individual self, but to come together for a cause that's greater than any other cause. And that is the name of Jesus. Why don't you get out your communication card?